Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. What do you do for a living? That's a pretty common question when we're introduced to somebody new. And when I'm asked that, if there's really no time for conversation or I don't feel like talking, I'll answer, I'm a financial advisor. The discussion is usually over. Back in the day when I traveled a lot, I wrote a lot on uh, airplane flights. So I, I typically did not want to talk. I had business to do, writing to do. So that was a very typical answer. I'm a financial advisor, and the discussion was over. If the social situation allows for more of a dialogue, I've increasingly begun to answer, I'm a financial therapist. Now, this usually elicits a pretty puzzled look and a response of, what's that? I've never heard of a financial therapist. When I go on to explain that financial therapy is really the blending of uh, the nuts and bolts of financial planning with the emotions of money and that financial planners don't deal with emotions and therapists don't deal with money, I would just say nine and a half times out of 10, the answer is that makes tons of sense. Because I say, you know, up until 10 years ago, there was no profession dealing with the gap between financial planners and therapists. So if I'm in a conversation then with a financial planner or a therapist, and they ask the specifics about my practice, which is normal. What type of practice do you have? They will say, I'm more inclined to answer, I'm in the wellness business, or I have a wellness practice. Now, this typically results in uh, maybe a puzzled look or a thoughtful look and a deeper and more theoretical dialogue usually ensues. So being in the wellness business, you know, if you think about it, wellness or well-being has a lot of definitions. The Oxford English Dictionary says it's the state of being comfortable, healthy, or happy. Now, when we drill down what makes us comfortable, what makes us healthy or happy, what does that take? A lot of professionals agree that there are three general components of well-being, emotional or spiritual, financial, and physical. Now, some will say there's four, and they'll separate emotional, spiritual to emotional, spiritual, financial, and physical. Given those components, my answer that I'm in the wellness business, eh, it's not completely accurate. While holistic wealth managers like myself who also embrace financial therapy, do address the financial and emotional components of well-being. We don't 
currently do much to address the physical component of well-being. Now, someday that may be brought in, not necessarily that we're going to have a doctor on staff and do physicals, but one of my peers in Texas, uh, Guy Cumby, is doing more and more to address uh, the, the broad components of physical health with his clients. He talks a lot about metabolic syndrome and goes into that. So I could see us moving kind of more into the preventative medicine aspect of it or, or having someone on staff that uh, might help with preventative medicine, functional medicine, uh, some things like that. But anyway, today uh, we don't do that. But, you know, I just can't think of any other profession that's closer to being in the wellness business than a uh, financial planner, financial therapist combination. Well, here's what really caught my attention recently. There was a panel presentation at the Global Wellness Summit held in November of 2020. And the panel predicted several wellness trends for 2021. And here's the crazy thing. (laughs) This was reported at hotelsmag.com on November 27, 2020. I was pretty impressed that um, a hotel website was reporting on this particular panel presentation on wellness. So the trends that uh, the panel went over included a greater holistic emphasis on preventative healthcare with a greater focus on food, supplements, immune therapies, and education. That um, kind of went along with my surmising that might be an area that somebody who's more broadly in the wellness business may add. So I'm delighted to, to see that trend continue. Personally, I am a great supporter of um, holistic uh, medicine and focusing more on pre- prevention and the whole person. Another trend the panel said would be an emphasis on nature and wilderness as healing, with more emphasis on wellness and human powered travel. Uh, So that's pretty cool. As I'm talking to you, I'm looking out the window of my home onto a wooded canyon. And nature is something that uh, uh, where I live, we embrace uh, pretty um, passionately, I would say. And there's definitely a healing component to nature. There's no question about that. I like the emphasis on human-powered travel. In South Dakota, that might mean by horse. Uh, in Amsterdam, it certainly means bicycle. But, uh, but that's interesting. They said we're also going to see more emphasis on creating a wellness refuge in your home, such as improved air quality, opening windows, eating outside, uh, air purifiers, things like this. Of course, that's a result of the pandemic that uh, has gripped the world. Makes a lot of sense since so many of us are now working from our homes that we're going to see that trend. So all that was interesting, but that's not what really grabbed my attention. 
what just stood out to me was what the panel called a great untabooing. They said wellness gets real about sex, money, and death. One panelist said that wellness is moving from being a narrowly focused industry to a massive and seismic cultural taboo toppling. Cultural taboo toppling. I like that. According to the hotelsmag.com, the panel suggested that the wellness industry will expand its boundaries to riskier cultural pain points and the really big stuff like sex, money, and death, which have a stronger impact on wellness than the day-to-day vanities of wellness. End of quote. That's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting, but it gets even better. Panel suggested we're going to see people getting, and I quote, real about money with new financial therapy wellness approaches. (laughs) Wow. I couldn't be more excited. You know, I mean, um, I'm a certified financial planner. Only recently have I become a certified financial therapist level one. And when I started this journey, maybe 20 years ago, I kind of felt my CFP brethren (laughs) when they saw me coming down the street would cross to the other side, like, oh no, here comes the, the CFP therapist nut. And the truth of it is I have a pretty well developed left brain. I spent 12 years and $80,000 in group therapy just to find out I had a right brain. So um, I I can't say that um, the therapy side of uh, of things of the brain comes easily to me, but it's pretty important. And so when when I read this, that uh, a wellness trend was financial therapy, I was pretty darn excited. You know, and as I think about it, so many of my peers in financial therapy saw this trend over a decade ago. I mean, um, it kind of had its roots maybe a couple decades ago with the the, uh, beginning of the Naz Rudin Project, which was a leaderless group of financial planners, therapists, and coaches that got together once a year. And it's still, it's in its 26th year, I think, right now. Uh, Dick Wagner, CFP and a phenologist, was well known for saying, talking about money is a 21st century taboo. He was founder of the Nazaruddin Project. So, you know, I, I find this all very fascinating that it's coming together and working its way into mainstream. I think uh, it's probably around 2000 that there's a it was a pretty big shift toward combining psychology and financial planning. A fellow by the name of Daniel Kahneman, who was a psychologist, he really further cemented the relationship between money and emotions with his groundbreaking research, which won a Nobel Prize in economics in 2002. What was that research? Well, he found that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not thoughtfully. Even though the Financial Therapy Association celebrated its 10th year in 2020, understanding that union 
of emotions and money really has a long way to go. While formal education in the field of financial therapy is growing in universities, financial planning programs, there's not one college mental health program that has embraced the concept. Think of that. When I started this work, I thought, wow, uh, the mental health profession is going to be all over this, but financial planners, nope, I don't think we're going to get them to go along with it. And I remember my uh, co-author, Dr. Ted Klontz, of several of the books that we've written, said, eh, Rick, I think you got it backwards. I think your community is going to embrace this far quicker than mine. And he was absolutely right. Eventually, I think that's going to change as the concept of wellness continues to expand across the medical, mental health, and financial professions. When, when will all that come together? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, the mental health profession, and especially the uh, colleges and universities, will begin to, to reach out and embrace the idea of financial therapy. But until then, we will continue to, to um, blaze the trail. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior, whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.